Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 29. Baz jerked awake. There was blood in his mouth, and for a moment he thought it had all been some crazy hallucination. He hadn't gone out to the platform at all. He was still on the floor of the sanctum after Marla had struck him. He'd just blacked out for a second. Or maybe he had gone out on the platform and Marla's sword had found its mark. Now he was dying as the wound bled out. Frantically, he tried to sit up, but a large hand pushed down on his chest, restraining him. Careful, little Baz. Rox's voice boomed down from above him like a spirit from the heavens. Baz opened his eyes and was blinded by much too bright light. He threw an arm over his face and tried to curl into a ball, though with Rox holding him down, all he really succeeded in doing was bending his knees and scrunching his shoulders a bit. Breathe, little Baz. You were in the Dark One's own grasp. You must find yourself. Baz's mind felt as if it were trying to sprint right out of his skull. He squeezed his eyes shut and tried to focus on Rox's advice, breathing in and out as slowly as his hammering heart would allow. Finally, his gasping inhalations slowed, and the pounding in his head reduced to a level where Baz didn't feel as if he were about to vomit. He tried to sit up again, and this time Rox let him. Hesitantly, he opened his eyes again and found that he could see, though the light streaming down from the portals above the sanctum remained painfully bright. "'What did you call me just now, Rox?' he asked. "'Apologies, Bastion. I meant no insult.' Baz didn't respond immediately. He brought a hand to his throat and was relieved to find it in one piece. He'd bitten the inside of his mouth, along with his tongue from earlier, and there was a lump beneath one eye from where he'd fallen. But those seemed to be the extent of his injuries. The physical ones, anyway. He tried not to think about the horrors that still floated in his memory, of Marla's crumbling body, the voices he'd heard, the voices he had spoken. Baz swallowed down the taste of iron and salt and let out another long breath. Don't worry about it, Rox. I don't care for the little part, but you can stick to calling me Baz. Rox rumbled deep in his throat, a sound that could mean many things, and Baz's head still hurt too much to dwell on what it meant this time, but torn pages on a campfire, the edges of Rox's eyes were crinkling. What happened? Baz asked, trying to ignore the harbor's suddenly jovial expression. You just did one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. Baz turned his head slowly to see Tessa standing on his other side. She was nearly eye-level, even though Baz was sitting, 
and he realized for the first time that he was on top of a table. Emma was beside Tessa, holding a cloth to a wound on her neck. He looked around a bit more, still trying to collect his thoughts. A bad idea. Behind Emma was Ryle, at least, the corpse that had been Ryle. Rox's razor still protruded from her skull, her broken body twisted amongst the splinters of a ruined table. He shuddered, which did nothing to improve the headache pulsing at his temples. Bloody burning books, he muttered. All of that actually just happened? Tessa pursed her lips, folding her arms over her breasts. You ought to be dead. If the big... She took a deep breath, glancing at rocks. If the harbor hadn't sprinted onto the platform and brought you back... Her voice trailed off. Baz glanced back to the giant. Huh. Guess we're even now, big man. Rox grinned at him from behind his mask. Baz couldn't stop himself from smiling back, though a moment later a thought occurred to him. But weren't you rooted to the ground? You have me to thank for that, Emma said. That hoarder wasn't very careful with her stop rune. I spoke it and reversed the spell. Baz raised his eyebrows. You freed rocks? Emma's face reddened, and she looked down to the floor. Calculated risk. I saw what you were doing. Figured you couldn't be all bad if you'd risk yourself like that to save all of us. Save all of us? Baz nearly spoke the question aloud, but bit it back. Emma wasn't just referring to the small group around him. She meant all the people living there in undertone. But he was no hero. He'd just been trying to stop Ryle from cutting Emma's throat. He hadn't even thought of all those others. What I don't understand is how the giant survived, Tessa said. No man has ever crossed onto the platform and returned able to speak of it. They're either vaporized, as that despicable hoarder was, or they come back mad, speaking in... Tessa's face paled as she trailed off. Speaking in a multitude of voices that aren't their own, Baz finished for her. Tessa looked surprised for a moment, but then her expression changed to what Baz could only call pitying. You heard them? Baz nodded, looking away from her. Her expression confirmed the horror he felt when his mind even approached the memory of what he'd seen and heard out on the platform. I survived, Rox said, because the Dark Ones speak in lies. Lies hold no power over a true enigmin. You're from Pront v. Lexdor's city? Emma said, sudden interest in her voice. Of course, Rox boomed, obviously pleased at Emma's interest in his home. I've never met an enigmin before. Well, I mean, I've met... Tessa silenced Emma with a glare. Her face reddened again, though she still looked ready to start asking Rox questions. Maybe Emma wasn't as bad as Baz had first thought. He'd be dead if not for her. But she wasn't the problem any longer. Tessa was the one he needed, and obviously she wasn't ready to declare Rox a friend, despite what he'd just done. Could Baz expect her to have a different attitude toward him? A thought suddenly struck him. What happened to Wretch, Marla's speaker? Dead, a voice from behind Rox said. Rox stepped aside to reveal Trunnell sitting at a nearby table. 
Wretch ran after rocks when he rushed to save you, Emma said. At first, I thought he was trying to stop rocks, but then he just kept running, right off the platform. Baz raised an eyebrow. Not at Emma, but at Trunnell. The older man shrugged. Hellar let me memorize a few simple influences, Trunnell said. Wretch was so madly devoted to Marla that he didn't need too much urging to go running after her. Baz belted out a sharp laugh, startling both Tessa and Emma. <laughs> what happened to serving the readers faithfully? Trunnell scowled at him. Hellar was dead, and, well... Trunnell broke eye contact with Baz. Maybe I saw some sense in what you told me earlier, about how I ought to have some respect for myself. Figured the least I could do was stop Wretch from preventing the harbor from having a go at saving you. Baz frowned. What he had told Trunnell earlier? He just told the man to stop acting like Hellar's boots tasted good. What are you going to do to Trunnell? Baz asked, turning to Tessa. I've already given him the same offer I gave to you, she said, and he's accepted. Baz looked back to Trunnell. He shrugged again. My reader's dead. No way I can go back to erstwhile. And what she's offering sounds strangely close to freedom compared to what I've lived my whole life. Freedom? Baz thought that over. He could accept Tessa's offer too, and he'd be out from under the thumb of Torchsire Library. For an instant, he felt a spark of elation at the thought. He could be his own person, do whatever he wanted. An instant later, he was scowling. That was just a fantasy. He'd just be trading one master for another, and he'd promised to finish the trials for Deliritus. No matter how much he despised the Torchsire heir, he wasn't going back on that vow. Not after what Deliritus had done to save him from Hellar's dragon. Baz would never be free so long as he felt that obligation to Deliritus. We need to talk, Baz said to Tessa. She stared at him for a long while, and Baz had to use every ounce of willpower he possessed to not look away from her cold eyes. My study, she said. The harbor stays here. Rox looked to Baz. He nodded to the big man. It's all right, Rox. You stay here and tell Emma about Enigma. Emma's eyes sparked with interest once more, though they darted back to the floor at another glare from her mother. Without another word, Tessa motioned for Baz to follow her and led him up the stairs at the back of the sanctum, then up another flight. They passed Hellar's body along the way. Baz knew he ought to feel some sort of remorse over the way the reader had died, but all he truly felt was a sort of grim satisfaction at the justice Hellar had received. Tessa led Baz around the balcony that made up the third tier of undertome. A few of the cityless who'd hidden upon Marla and Hellar's arrival had reappeared. They nodded with respect at Tessa, though mostly their eyes were fixed on Baz, apprehension obvious in their expressions. Baz glowered back at them. Perhaps he hadn't been in a magnanimous frame of mind when he decided to lead Marla out onto the platform, but couldn't they show him a little appreciation for what he'd done? Tessa turned down a side corridor and soon after stopped at a door. The corridor stretched on for longer than Baz could see, and there were obviously other corridors branching off of it. How many people do you have down here? Baz asked. 
Tessa didn't reply, opening the door they'd stopped at and ushering Baz inside. Within was a round room, maybe twenty feet across. There was a desk at its center, with a single chair behind it. The room's only other furnishings were bookshelves. Aside from the space taken up by the door, they completely encircled the room and were completely full. Fortunes upon fortunes upon fortunes of spoken books. Wow, Baz said. You weren't kidding when you said you had some books. Tessa remained close-lipped until she was seated at the desk at the room's center. There was no chair for Baz, so he just folded his arms and waited for her to speak. You didn't tell me the truth earlier, she finally said. Baz glared at her. I spoke no lies to you. Don't play word games with me, boy. Perhaps you didn't lie, but you omitted the most important part of your tale. Baz opened his mouth to deny it, but stopped. Instead, he asked, How did you figure it out? The dark ones, she replied. I've seen ten people brave the platform in my lifetime. The ones who had little skill in the book's power ended up like that hoarder you let out there, just gone. But the orators, the ones you call cusses, they're the ones who came back, raving mad, but they came back. Tessa paused for a moment, looking off into the distance. For just an instant, she looked vulnerable, but then she turned her glare back at Baz, intense as ever. The Dark Ones want something from them. They don't kill them outright, and they didn't try to kill you. That means that, while you may be an oppressed back in erstwhile, somewhere along the way you learned to read. Baz shuddered to hear those words spoken aloud. He'd spent his whole life knowing it would mean death for him if he was ever accused of that. Death, or worse, a fate like his brother had met. And while he knew Tessa didn't intend to kill him because he could read, somehow he still felt that she was about to use that knowledge against him. I can't stay here, Tessa, Baz said, and you owe me. Your daughter would be dead if I hadn't risked my life to save her. If that meant anything to her, Tessa didn't show it. Her eyes remained hard as ever, regarding him as if he threatened everything she held dear. You told me of a keeper who was captured and tortured before you left erstwhile. A keeper? Tessa rolled her eyes. If you haven't noticed by now, boy, we aren't exactly sidious. We call ourselves the keepers of what remains, protecting what's left of the great library and continuing the scribe's great work. All right, Baz said, trying without success to see where Tessa was going with this. Sure, I told you about the city, the keeper who was captured. What about him? He was what we call a seeker of transcendence. They are the only keepers who ever leave Tome. While we have our mission here of finishing the equities, they have an equally important goal, locating the declaimer's transcendence. That was one of the few things I heard the captured man say, Baz said, but I never understood what it meant. It's a prediction, Tessa said. A prediction of what? Of how the oppressed will rise up against the hoarders of words. Baz rolled his eyes. And how, scribes tell, are they going to do that? That is more accurate than you know, 
Tessa said, her voice competing with the intensity of her gaze. The prediction was made by the Enigma himself. Sadly, we've lost all but the last line. He'll speak the words to set us free. Baz stared at Tessa for a long moment. Then he burst out laughing. Oh, stop! That child's tale? The Enigma wrote a book of prophecies, but it was lost? All but that one scrap which a little girl saved? That girl, Tessa said, rising from her seat, was my ancestor. The laughter died in Baz's throat. Tessa's voice was charged like the air a moment before lightning struck. He tried to meet her eyes, but this time he failed, dropping his gaze and shaking his head. Nearly everything you've told me since I got here has sounded impossible, and yet somehow I believe you. Tessa leaned across the desk toward him. Would you really keep a promise to the hoarder who owns you, who hurt your brother? Bez's head snapped back up to look at Tessa, startled by the question. She just stared at him, like a tax collector with a bill come due. Finally, Baz gave a hoarse laugh and shrugged. Yeah, I intend to. Why? Baz scowled. I've already told you, Deliritus saved, that can't be all of it. With what he and the rest of society have done to you, his act of rescue was but a word in a book of countless pages. Tessa's eyes burned into Baz's own, holding his gaze surely as shackles. Hadn't Tax said something similar when Baz had criticized that tattoo on his arm? Maybe he had been wrong to throw shade so quickly upon his brother. I don't know, he murmured. I guess it's just my own little piece of rebellion. I can't have freedom, but that doesn't mean I can't choose to do what's right. That's what makes me different from them. I choose to be better. Baz remained unable to look away from Tessa's probing stare. Sweat began to bead on his forehead, his heart hammering. He was a book and Tessa a reader, delving into his deepest secrets. Fine, she snapped. I propose an oath for an oath. I will permit you to leave here unharried by the keepers. The power of her gaze lessened ever so slightly, and Baz was finally able to break the link between them. He tried to only stare over her shoulder, rather than fully look away and concede how uncomfortable she'd made him. She just offered precisely what he wanted, so why did he feel like he was about to regret ever setting foot in this room? What do you want in exchange? Tessa smiled, and Baz felt a chill equal to any he'd felt when Marla had looked at him. You agree to become one of my seekers of transcendence and complete a quest of my choosing. If there'd been another chair in the room, Baz would have collapsed into it. As it was, he smacked a hand over his face and groaned. He'd been so close to completing this fool's task for Deliritus and returning to the relative safety of erstwhile. His palate in his little alcove in the library basement. Lively conversations with Liana. The songs of Tax and his other retirees. Now Tessa was asking him to risk the breath in his lungs again? Baz rubbed at his temples with middle finger and thumb, eyes shut, 
as if removing the sight of Tessa would eviscerate the calamity about to befall him. What makes you think I'd be any good at being one of your seekers? Baz still wasn't looking, but he could tell by the woman's tone that she was pursing her lips. You made it here, didn't you? <laughs> Baz laughed, though it sounded more like a moan as it left his lips. Pure luck. I should have been eaten by a worm, cooked by a dragon, and consumed by a fairy tale evil. But you weren't, Tessa said. I might think your devotion to your hoarder and his pet dog idiotic, but it kept you alive. You seem to be good at that. Baz shook his head, finally letting go of the possibility that not looking at Tessa would make her rescind her offer. You're not looking for someone who can just stay alive. True, she replied. I'm looking for someone who has a chance of getting into a triumvirate library and back out again. No seeker has a realistic chance of doing so, not where I need them to go. Baz searched the far recesses of his mind for ideas, but what choice was there? The keepers would simply kill him if Tessa commanded it. Sure, maybe he and Rox could take a few with them, but even Rox would be overwhelmed before long. What's the quest? he said through clenched teeth, hating every syllable as they came off his vocal cords. Tessa smiled like a hunter who'd just caught her prey. I have good reason to believe that a second transcription of the Declaimer's Transcendence survived the second burning. What's your good reason? Tessa scowled at his interruption. That isn't important. Baz shut his eyes, exhaling through his nose. Look, lady, if you want me to risk my newly acquired hat and everything below it for you, I think I have a right to know what information I'm staking my continued breathing on. She glared at him for several moments longer. Then, she said, Aramere told me, is that sufficient for you? Illiterate ink, Baz muttered. He'd been hoping for something ridiculous that he could criticize, but he found that was, indeed, a reliable enough source for him. Where do you think this transcription of your long-lost prophecy might be? Baz asked. Liamina Library. Liamina Library? Baz stared at Tessa, dumbfounded. You want me to go to Fortune? How do you expect me to do that? The method is up to you, Seeker. Just swear you'll do it, and that you'll bring the transcription back to Tome once you have it. And bring the transcription back here? Baz began laughing hysterically. He couldn't help it. Maybe he should just let Tessa order her keepers to slit his throat now. All he was going to do was go through a lot of painful effort to achieve the same result if he agreed to this. Not giving me a lot to go on, Baz said, voice manic. I didn't say the task would be easy. This is a great risk I'm taking, freeing you with the knowledge you now possess. You'll be freeing rocks too, Baz said. Tessa's lips thinned until they practically disappeared. He helped save Emma as much as I did. You can't hurt him. Baz expected this to generate a great argument, but perhaps Tessa had a bit more honor or cared a bit more for Emma than she let on. Fine, Tessa said, but only because he is a nigman and he must swear not to speak of this place to anyone, especially his hoarder. Baz nodded. 
At least he had the small satisfaction of seeing Tessa speak through clenched teeth as she conceded that point to him. Can you at least tell me what a declaimer is? Baz asked. Certainly. A declaimer is a person who can cast spells without a spoken book. Baz stared at Tessa blankly. You mean, they have a term for that other than make-believe? Tessa scoffed. Of course. Declaimers are rare, but not a fiction. That's the whole point of the transcendence, to tell of a declaimer who will lift the hoarder's chains from oration and return us to the days before the burning. Baz could only shake his head. Everything Tessa was saying seemed as if it had to be false. But something truly had come out of the darkness and consumed Marla Colnar, so at least one of Tessa's seemingly impossible statements had proven true already. Could her other assertions carry some veracity as well? Did it even matter? If it got him out of tome with his life, Baz would do his best to believe anything Tessa said, or at least feign belief. If I agree, Rox and I walk out of here unharmed? We'll see you safely all the way to the edge of the Firelands if you wish, Tessa replied. The edge of Tome will do, Baz said. We have a ride from there. Tessa narrowed her eyes, though Baz only half noticed. He began drumming his fingers against the side of his leg. He felt like he was missing something. Ah! He snapped his fingers. I'll need one of these spoken books, too. He motioned at the shelves that encircled them. That is not part of the bargain. It is now, Baz said. I didn't come all the way here and survive to leave without the thing I promised Deliritus. No deal, Tessa said. Baz looked up to the ceiling, rubbing his eyes. He needed to sleep for a week and never even hear the word adventure again for as long as he lived. Thankfully, something Tessa had said reminded him of a remaining bargaining chip he possessed. Aramir's blood, he said. You can have it in exchange for a book of my choosing. We already have the blood. You gave it to Emma. <sighs> More like she extorted it from me at knife point. Aramir said to give it to you so you'd help us. What do you think he'll say when I tell him what you actually did? You will be agreeing to my terms of your own free will, Tessa said, leaning over her desk toward him but Baz was done with being intimidated. We can debate Enigman philosophy for the rest of the day, Tessa, but I suspect Aramir falls into the camp of those who believe that a promise made at a knife's point holds no truth. Tessa slammed a fist on the desktop. Baz jumped. All right, perhaps he wasn't entirely finished being intimidated, but he also wasn't entirely finished with ideas. I... Bet you can make some good progress on your equities with that blood as ink. It was only a twitch of her eye, but Baz saw it. Tessa hadn't thought he'd known what made the blood so valuable. In truth, he hadn't, but it had been a reasonable guess. Fine, Tessa said. One book. Deal, Baz said immediately. Do you swear? Tessa responded just as quickly to serve the keepers of what remains as a seeker of transcendence and complete the quest I have given you? Do you swear to let Rox and me go free and to give me a spoken book from your shelves of my choosing? Baz demanded back to her. Tessa clenched her hands into fists. Yes, I do. 
Great, Baz said, with as much joviality as he could muster. Might as well take the first steps down the path to his ultimate doom with a smile. Then I swear to complete your quest. I'll find the Declaimer's Transcendence. All right, welcome back to the book club, everyone. Today is Monday, oh, June 27th, 2022, as I record this, and I knock all of my cables around here on the microphone. <laughs> uh, this is episode 24 of the podcast. Uh, a rare morning recording for me, as I'm just back from a weekend trip visiting some family, and want to make sure this episode gets out as usual on Monday. So here we are. Just the camera here a little for those of you on YouTube, okay? Uh, not too much in the way of a personal update this week. I'm slowly working my way through the manuscript of Part 4 of the Spoken Books Uprising, Declaimer's Stand. Uh, I'm aiming to have it ready for my advanced readers by the beginning of August, so that gives me a little more than a month now. That should be enough time. Uh, and I got a slated release date of September 16th, 2022 for that. So stay tuned for more details on that in the coming weeks. And uh, with that, why don't we just jump right into discussing chapter 29 here, kind of the uh, the denouement, as you, uh, as you will. Um, you know, we had the climax <clears throat> last week with... Uh, finally disposing of, of Marla and making some discoveries about what in fact is out there on that peninsula beneath Tome. And we left Baz, uh, you know, blacking out, thinking he was going to be possessed by the Dark Ones. But so uh, Baz wakes up laying on one of the tables in the Sanctum, uh, safe once again. Uh, so uh, I'm sure it comes as no surprise probably partly because I told everyone last week that Baz is not dead here. <laughs> uh, Rox is there with him, telling him to take it easy because he was in the Dark One's own grasp. Um, and that Baz needs to find himself again. Uh, this is interesting, right? Uh, Rox seems to grasp exactly what happened to Baz, even though um, he hadn't been present for Tessa's story about the Dark Ones being imprisoned in undertone so you know there's lots of mystery surrounding rocks he seems to know a lot of a lot of things and we're not exactly sure how he how he knows them but he is not surprised about the dark ones it seems um <laughs> did you uh did you get all warm and fuzzy here when baz tells rocks that he can actually call him baz you know we have this exchange where uh rocks calls him little baz and Rocks actually apologizes, but uh, Baz is like, what? And, you know, drop the little rocks, but you can call me Baz. <laughs> so this is kind of finally the change we've been waiting for in our hero, right? Maybe it took a near-death experience, but he finally seems to have warmed up to rocks, or at least admit to himself that he's warmed up to rocks. And um, that's uh, that's even before we learn that Rocks is the one who saved Baz, right? You know, as Tessa says, uh, rocks sprinted onto the platform and brought you back. So definitely a you know a bond forming between the two here. They've each, they've each saved each other's lives now. So um, you know, are Baz and Rocks going to be besties here from here on out? I don't know. We'll have to keep reading and see. 
Um, of course, Tessa can't believe that Baz is alive and well. She says um, she's seen 10 people go out onto that platform over the years, and they've either uh, been annihilated like Marla was or come back raving mad, speaking in a multitude of different voices. Uh, Tessa's also flummoxed as to how Rox survived, but Rox in his kind of typical Enigma fashion here. The Dark Ones speak in lies. Lies hold no power over a true Enigma. So that's how Rox survived here, which raises a couple of interesting points. Uh, one, again, Rox seems familiar with the Dark Ones somehow, and so he's not surprised at all that they're present here in Undertome. So what's going on with that? And two, uh, does he actually have some sort of special powers here that make him immune to the Dark Ones' touch? You know, because his, his Enigma philosophy is all well and good, but... Um, you know, it would seem to be more than just philosophy if it actually shielded him from the power of the Dark Ones. So, questions, no answers at this point, but things to be thinking about um, as we read future stories here. Um, and how did Rox get free of Marla's spell? Well, because recall, he was rooted to the ground, right? So how did he go chasing after Baz? Well, uh, Emma released him, apparently. Um, so she's not all bad, it would seem. She recognized that Baz was trying to help her, and freed rocks. Um, she heard Marla utter the stop rune, so we kind of see the the power and the disadvantage of the stop rune here. Remember, stop runes, you read those so um, you know someone can't repeat a spell that you've just read. But uh, if you let someone hear the stop rune, then um, you can reverse the spell, right? Because you. Uh, You've heard it, so that's the uh, that's kind of the point of the stop room. Remember, you can speak it and, and stop the spell to make sure, you know, if you mess up reading, that's one of the other points of the stop room. You can speak the stop room, and the spell will stop without uh, backfiring on you. So anyway, that's what Emma did here in the, the spell stop, which freed rocks. Um, and it's funny, Baz is actually kind of embarrassed because Emma says he was trying to save, quote, all of us. Whereas Baz is like, well, I was just trying to keep Ryle from slitting her throat. I wasn't thinking about saving all of Undertome here. I'm, I'm no hero like you're making me out to be, Emma. <clears throat> he doesn't say this out loud. He's thinking that. But, uh, you know, maybe that's true. But kind of seems like Baz isn't giving himself enough credit here. He really just risked his life, uh, you know, on kind of a slim, slim footing, right, for these people who, um, you know, these people in Undertome might have been uh, on the verge of, of killing Baz and Rocks, but he still put his neck on the line for them. So Baz, you know, you should be giving yourself maybe a little more credit here. And um, speaking of the roots that held Rocks, what happened to Wretch, uh, Marla's speaker? You know, obviously we're tying up some of the loose ends here now at the end of the book. Um, apparently Trunnel, remember Trunnel is Hellar's influencer, um, and Trunnel cast an influencing spell on on Wretch and caused him to, to run after Marla and leap into the abyss. Um, it would seem Trunnel drew some inspiration from Baz earlier. Remember, um, back at the beginning of part two, there was this quick little scene down by um, a watering hole between Baz and Trunnel, and Baz kind of sarcastically told Hellar to stop or told Trunnel to stop licking Hellar's boots. Um, you know, Trunnel, I think, was offended by that at the time, but he kind of took it as a wake-up call to start respecting himself, he tells Baz here. 
Um, and this isn't going to be the last time we see this. Um, I think we've seen it a few times in this book already, and we'll continue to see it throughout the series that Baz kind of has this effect on people that he doesn't he doesn't even really grasp. Um, you know, despite his abrasiveness, he nonetheless draws people to him. Uh, we've seen that with Rox and Emma already, and now with Trunnel as well. You know, I think uh, Baz has a sort of genuineness about him. Maybe he's not a nice person, but uh, he tells, he, he calls him how he sees him, right? And people seem to respect that about him. Um, and what, so what's going to happen to Trunnel here now? Because he's another, you know, he has seen Undertome's secrets now. Well, Trunnel has accepted Tessa's offer to stay in Tome and help her, uh, which is the same offer she proposed to Baz before Marla and Hellar showed up. Sorry if you heard that car horn in the background just now. <laughs> um, Baz briefly considers accepting Tessa's offer as well, right? As, um, you know, he, he realizes it would free him from Torchsire's slavery, but, you know, he kind of, like, smacks himself on the side of the head, right? And, you know, I'd just be trading one master for another. I'm not, I'm not accepting that offer. So uh, he tells Tessa they need to talk. So they head off to Tessa's study to negotiate the terms of Baz's release here. Uh, and Tessa might not admit it, but she knows Baz is right uh, when he tells her that she owes him. Uh, he did just save her daughter after all, and potentially all of Undertome from being exposed to the rest of Oration. Um, but that certainly doesn't mean that Tessa's not going to drive a hard bargain here, as uh, as we see. So they, they enter her study, which is full of a multitude of spoken books, right? It's just this kind of circular room, and all the walls are taken up by bookshelves, along with a desk and only one chair, of course. You know, Tessa gets to sit, Baz will be standing for this discussion, kind of a little power play here from Tessa. Um, and before Baz can say anything, Tessa reveals that she knows Baz can read. Um, remember Baz, when we reciting his story to Tessa a couple chapters ago, left that, you know, that minor bit of information out. Um, and how, how did she figure this out? Well, it's because it's only ever been individuals skilled in both reading and speaking. Uh, so orators in the, uh, in the terminology of these folks down here in Undertome. So it's only been orators who come back from beyond the peninsula. Um, they come back raving mad, but they do come back. They don't get, uh, you know, vaporized like Marla did. Um, and, you know, notice how Tessa looks upset here for a moment, speaking of the individuals who have gone out onto the peninsula. Seems like this is a bit of a sore subject for her, but um, we don't get any more detail on that, so... Uh, you will get some more about that in book two, so stay tuned. Um, you know, also implicit here is that, um, you know, Tessa's implying here, you know, Baz should be raving mad now. How? Why aren't you crazy now, Baz? <laughs> uh, it's, um, you know, but he obviously he's not. And why is that? Again, uh, another question here, you know, at this point, uh, you know, as we progress through the book, we started getting some answers to our questions, but now um, more questions are coming up, and um, we're not going to necessarily get resolutions to some of these new questions until the next book or even beyond. So, uh, and this is one of those, Baz, Baz isn't mad, but we're not sure why <clears throat> at this point, how he survived encountering the Dark Ones there. Um, 
next we move along here and get some we do get some answers from tessa uh, about some other things uh the cityless obviously don't call themselves that right you know that's what they're called outside of undertone but uh obviously the obviously they do in fact have a city here underground so they don't call themselves cityless they are the keepers of what remains protecting what's left of the great library and continuing the scribes great work so you'll start to hear them referred to as keepers now for short um, and there's also this uh, subset of keepers called the seekers of transcendence um, recall back to the beginning of the book we had this cityless who was caught and tortured um, and he was one of these seekers so what are they seeking uh, Tessa tells us they are seeking a prophecy that will tell how the speakers will rise up against the readers, who she calls the hoarders of words. Hoarders of words. Uh, this prophecy is called the Declaimer's Transcendence, and all but the last line of it was lost during the second burning, and that line was, he'll speak the words to set us free. Um, you may recall uh, that was what the... Sidilus, who was captured at the beginning of the book, was shouting before uh, he tried to kill Deliritus, and then was himself killed by rocks. And Baz <laughs> laughs at this because um, when Baz talked to Tax, his brother, about what the Sidilus said, uh, you know, we kind of we learned from Tax that that's a line from a children's bedtime story. This tale of a girl who ripped out a scrap of paper from a book the Enigma had written. Um, before fleeing the second burning. Uh, but Tessa uh, Tessa does not view this as a bedtime story. She tells us it's true that little girl was actually her ancestor, and she is carrying on the work of searching for the remainder of that prophecy, uh, of which we only have the last line. Again, he'll speak the words to set us free, the declaimer's transcendence. Um, so... You know, Tessa drops this on Baz. Oh, that's actually a true story. And then she kind of like abruptly switches gears and asks him, you know, would you really keep a promise to the oppressed who owns you? Uh, you know, referring to this promise to finish the trials for Deliritus, despite all that Deliritus has done to Baz. Uh, why, uh, why is she asking this question uh, at this moment? Well, she it seems like she's testing him because Tessa also wants Baz to... Uh, to make a promise to her and she is seeing how trustworthy he is i guess uh, apparently saving her daughter wasn't enough to prove <laughs> to prove that um you know bass says he does intend to keep his promise to deliritus and when tessa presses him as to why we get this i guess i would call it an elegant an eloquent response from bass here um, i guess it's just my own little piece of rebellion i can't have freedom but that doesn't mean I can't choose to do what's right. That's what makes me different from them. I choose to be better. Um, for better or worse, that answer seems to satisfy Tessa as she makes Baz an offer. Uh, she'll let him go free, and in exchange, he agrees to become a seeker and carry out a quest for her. <laughs> of course, we get this kind of funny sequence here. Baz groans and kind of slaps himself across the face here or maybe he rubs his temples i don't remember the exact reaction but obviously he's like oh not again <laughs> he's you know he says something like I'd, I'd rather never hear the word adventure again um 
he has no interest in going on a quest, but he does have to get out of Tome. So he's kind of between a rock and a hard place here. Uh, and, you know, Tessa points out, you know, Bess seems pretty good at staying alive here. That's, I think he'd be useful as a seeker. Seekers kind of put themselves into precarious spots, as, again, we saw with that Sidious who was captured back in Part 1. Of course, Bass calls his, uh, his knack at staying alive pure luck. But, uh, you know, maybe his, uh, this innate ability he has to gather allies to him has something to do with staying alive. <clears throat> Tessa certainly points out, well, I think you're an idiot for um, working with Deliritus and Rocks, but it's, it's certainly helped you stay alive here. Um, but that's not the only reason Tessa sees Baz as an attractive candidate for one of her seekers. Uh, he's also kind of a rare opportunity for her a speaker from a triumvirate city. You know, this is uh, presumably Baz is the first the first speaker um, who has come down to Undertome, at least come down to Undertome and, you know, lived to, to uh, speak of it. You know, he can go to places that Tessa's other seekers can't. You know, uh, you know, uh, a, a cityless, uh, you know, the cityless are actually obviously public enemy number one here as far as the readers are concerned but you know baz is a baz is a speaker you know he can if he's a speaker in a library it's not a not at least immediately apparent that he's doing anything wrong so tessa wants to take advantage of that um and why exactly does she want to take advantage of that well she has on good authority from aramir the book dragon himself actually that a copy of the lost prophecy is located in uh one of Oration's libraries, Liamina Library in particular, which is not in uh, erstwhile, but in the City of Fortune, which we have only heard referenced a few times here, but that's one of the other three major cities in Oration. Um, go to Fortune, find the prophecy, and bring it back to Tome. That's what she wants Baz uh, to do. <laughs> Bass kind of loses it a little bit here. Oh, yeah, I'll just go find this prophecy. I'll stroll into this library and then bring it back to Tome. Oh yeah, that'll be easy. <laughs> um, he kind of like, maybe I should just let them kill me now. Cause I'm certainly going to die if I try to do that. Um, but again, you know, what choice does he have, but to agree? Um, otherwise it looks like Tessa's not letting him out of Tome alive. So, um, once he insists that Rox is included in the bargain, because, you know, Rox is Baz's buddy now. She's, he's not going to let Tessa hurt him. Uh, Baz agrees to these terms here. Um, though, not without asking a couple more questions, you know, naturally Baz asks, well, what is a declaimer? Um, you might remember several chapters, well, maybe more than several chapters back, but at some point Baz asks <laughs> Deliritus what a declaimer is, and Deliritus kind of just poo-poo's the question as, oh, it's just a, just some sort of silly story. Don't worry about it, Baz. And I guess maybe we see now why Deliritus didn't want to answer that, because apparently a declaimer is someone who can draw on the power of the elements without a spoken book, um, which Baz thinks um, is impossible, but Tessa insists, you know, they're very rare, but they're not a fiction. And that's what this prophecy uh, foretells. You know, a person who can cast spells without a book who will lead the speakers to freedom. Um, so interesting here. To this point, we've kind of thought that the only way to cast magic in this world is reading it from books, but apparently there is the rare person who can do so 
without books. So um, kind of getting deeper and deeper here into the intricacies of magic here in oration, which kind of, you know, it raises some questions um, <clears throat> as well. You know, how are, can you make declaimers? Are you just born a declaimer? Like if you practice really hard reading, do you become a declaimer? Again, um, no answers here, just questions, but uh, another another layer here. Um, of course, Baz nearly forgets, arguably the most important part of the bargain, but he salvages it at the last moment. Uh, you know, he's like drumming his fingers on the on his leg, and he's like, "Oh, got it. I I need a book." <laughs> uh, and I came here in the first place so I could get this book and bring it back to Deliritus. Of course, Tessa initially refuses, but then Baz offers to let her keep the book dragon blood Aramir gave him in exchange for a book. And he guesses uh, correctly. It turns out that the blood can be used as ink for writing books, and this. Uh, of course, suggests why some people hunt book dragons. Their blood is a valuable resource for for writing spoken books, or I suppose in the case of readers who can't create new spoken books, at least for restoring the ones they already have. Um, and with that, the deal is struck. Baz gets out of Tome with a book in exchange for the blood and going on Tessa's quest to fortune, which... Um, Spoiler, is not going to happen in this book. <laughs> That'll be book two. Uh, we'll be going on that quest to fortune. So setting up the continuation of the series here. Um, one adventure has come to its conclusion, or Baz would probably call it a nightmare. Not an adventure, but as far as us, the readers, are concerned, it's been an adventure. Um, but of course, Baz has already been thrust into another one, and like I said, that'll be the topic of book two, Declaimer's Discovery, which we'll start reading together uh, in a few weeks. All right, so that's the episode. Next week, we're just going to do a short one uh, and read chapter 30. Not going to have any analysis next week. I'm actually in a wedding party next week, so I'm uh, going to be traveling for most of the week. Chapter 30 is a short one, so I'll read that and get that posted. So you will have another episode to listen to. Um, and then we will discuss chapter 30 the following week. Um, I do have a listener question, but, um, since I'm a little rushed for time here, I think I'm going to save that for another <clears throat> episode. So, uh, question was from Jan. Jan, thanks for your, thanks for your question, uh, over on Twitter. And I will, uh, get an answer to you on a future episode. Um, but for now, we're just going to close with our quote of the week. This one comes from, uh, the incomparable C.S. Lewis from The Lion, the Witch, and The Wardrobe, uh, the first Chronicles of Narnia book. Um, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. <laughs> um, and then, as always, I wrote my little in uh, interpretation, or maybe not. I don't know if their interpretations are in uh, essay inspired by the quote. I think it's probably a better way to phrase it. Um, 
Many of us trick ourselves into thinking it's safety we want. Safety is status quo. Safety is comfort. Safety is security. We're all told we want these things and that we're, quote, successful if we achieve them. But undertake some self-reflection. What is it you really want? How far are you from it? What will it take to get there? If you're like most people, the answers to those latter two questions are likely far and a lot. Well, you won't get to that distant horizon by playing it safe in secure comfort. Instead, subject yourself to some purposeful discomfort and watch as you grow. So there's our quote and essay. This week, and I um, <clears throat> I guess one of my purposes in doing these each week is to kind of, um, you know, show some of the value in reading fantasy beyond just the interesting stories. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty of value in just getting entertainment and satisfaction out of a good fantasy story, but, you know, there are, there is another level to a lot of fantasy letting you tackle these <clears throat> uh, difficult topics from kind of a, you know, instead of head-on, kind of from from the side using fantasy as a lens to look at actual life through. So there you go. I hope you like these little essays. Um, and as I've said in the past, if you have a quote you'd like to hear me feature on the podcast and in the weekly newsletter, uh, email it to me at dtkane at dtkane.com and I might uh, write one of my little essays about your favorite quote. And that does it for this week's episode, episode 24. So until next time, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. All right, this is chapter 29-2, and you would not believe how hot it is in this room right now. But I can't run the air conditioner because you'd be able to hear it over the microphone. So maybe like uh, fanning myself with a... I don't know. We'll see how that comes out for the thumbnail. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com podcast. D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author, or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.